0: What you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. What you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films.
1: Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies.
0: This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to Footcandle Films here on the Mesh.TV podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson. With me, Chris Fry. We are both uh, directors of the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival, which just wrapped up for the 2021 year, Chris. Yes. Felt like we had a good uh, good festival year. We'll talk about that a little bit later as we get into the news section, talk about some of the uh, outcomes of that festival. But what we're here today to, today to talk about mainly is new films. And we're going to be reviewing a couple of new films that are out in theaters or online streaming, giving some reviews of the films, The Many Saints of Newark. Uh, The Sopranos prequel that showed up on both uh, theaters and on HBO Max. And then we'll also be looking at the uh, conversion of the film from the uh, Tony and Grammy award-winning musical to a actual theatrical film release, Dear Evan Hansen. We'll be discussing those two films, followed by some movie news, including some news and updates from our recent festival that we completed and then Chris and I will finish out the episode with a recommendation that each of us would like to make of a film we think is worth checking out. Chris, how are you doing? I'm sorry I didn't even ask. I'm, anyway.
2: I'm doing well. I have gotten some sleep since the festival, so that that's good.
1: I have not, oh, so I'm okay. still kind of working on that. Um, hopefully to catch up soon. But nice. yes, it was a good weekend. Uh, good festival. I think we had a great time with it. Again, we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get to the news item. But uh, let's uh, let's shake that off and move on to some new stuff and talk about some uh, films that we want to review for you. First one being up: The Many Saints of Newark. What do you want,
0: Richard? I'll be honest with you.
2: I want money.
0: I want to do a good deed. I want to do a lot more. The best things in life are free. I try to set an example for my nephew. Give them to the birds and bees. Anthony got kicked out of school. I went through all that trouble. And for what? I'm always being accused. You gotta be good. That's what I want. I want to do whatever I can to help the family. That's what I want. Money don't get everything. It's true. <laughs> what it don't get, I can't use. I want money. Wonder what they talk about in that.
2: I didn't catch the name.
0: Pussy. <laughs> Put
2: him on the table. Dick, I just got this jacket. Ah! You know, I, I try so hard. Ah!
0: Gotta do something about Dickie Malasani. What a ah! I know you can get anything. Look at Tiki
2: Multisanti. He steps up, takes care of his family, takes care of all the business. If
0: anybody tells anybody about this, how are you doing on your merit badges? I want to do all kinds of good things. It's the wanting.
2: Pain comes from always wanting things. But who do I know?
0: I'm a murderer. The best things in life are free. Got myself a son. Hi, Christopher. Hello. Oh. Okay. All right. Like a scam or something.
2: Some babies, when they come into the world, know all kinds of things from the other side. That's what I want. The Sopranos famously end ended the series with just a cut to black. And a lot of people were confused about this. They really wanted to know what had happened. Writer David Chase has always been kind of elusive and never really let just people's imagination run wild. He'd never really wanted to comment. He said all options are on the table. It's kind of a choose-your-own-adventure type thing. A couple of years ago, there's stories were circulating that they were going to do a prequel. Um, People were interested. There was a lot of interest in that. And then they announced that – The actor, and I've just freaking blanked on his name. James Gandolfini. Gandolfini. Yeah, you'd think I'd remember because his son's Michael. Okay, so they announced that his son was going to be playing a younger version of himself. And then people were like, oh, we saw some trailers. And then finally, the movie has hit theaters. And as you mentioned, it's also hit HBO Max. The summary, as of IMDb, thank you. All it says is a look at the formative years of New Jersey gangster Tony Soprano. That's it. One sentence summary. Uh, The film was directed by Alan Taylor, who had some interaction with The Sopranos TV show, directed... I don't know if he directed all the episodes, but did direct some of them. Mm -hmm. Um, Cinema-wise, he has on his resume Terminator Genesis* Mm -hmm. and prior to that, Thor The Dark World. Yes. So, um, and he has a couple of other films too, but those are the most widely well-known. Well, and
1: he's also... Game of Thrones was like kind of his big thing. He directed a lot of that as well. Interesting. Mm
2: -hmm. Okay, so... Cinema-wise, though, that you know his yeah. calling cards, you know, which may give some people some trepidation, uh, is Terminator: Genesis and Thor: The Dark World. So, Alan, mm-hmm. I am curious, what was your experience with the Many Saints of Newark?
1: Well, uh, so I went into this with a little bit of different experience. I, okay. I have not watched an episode of The Sopranos. Oh, excellent! Um, I, I know excellent. of The Sopranos. I understand what the show is about. It's a show I'm sure I would love if I watched it because I am, you know, love Goodfellas. I love, you know, mobster movies in general. I love, I I love everything I hear about it. I just never sat down to actually watch it because I'm, I'm someone if I'm going to start a series, I'm going to finish the series, and Mm -hmm. I just didn't know if I could commit the time to do it.
2: A lot of seasons of The Sopranos. There are a
1: lot and a lot to go through. So I went into this completely blind. I just went into this with no expectations other than what I see in the movie poster, which is it says the big question, who made Tony Soprano? Well, I'm like, okay, I know who Tony Soprano is. I recognize the character. so this is a prequel about that character. Um, so going into it that with that frame of mind, I'll go ahead and say it's kind of a a, a my advice to anybody out there interested in watching this movie. <laughs> if you have not if you're not familiar with the Sopranos TV show, you will not get full enjoyment out of this film because there are many, many patches of this film where I do not know who the characters are. I do not understand their relationships and it was not the most rewarding experience, okay? This is not a movie that was designed to be a completely standalone. It functions on its own. You don't need any backstory or other research to be done. And in general, I think that's, I think that's a shame with films. I think if you release a film, it even if it's a prequel or a sequel, it should still have some semblance of being able to be entertaining on its own right. That being said, I did enjoy the film for what it was, even though I just kind of had to stop trying to figure out who people were and what the relationships were between them. Uh, and my wife, who is very familiar with the TV show, sitting next to me watching it, is just busting at the seams wanting to tell me every relationship, every person in the backstory. And I'm saying, no, I don't want to know that because I really want to see this on its own as a film. Um, I enjoyed the film as far as moments and scenes, and, and I think there was some interesting character developments with some characters in the film. But... I have a hard time wrapping my head around this being its own movie, its own story, because I felt like it didn't really have a story. Hmm. And I feel like at the end of the day, and I will get to, I don't want to spoil anything, but the big question who made Tony Soprano, I don't really feel like was uh, (laughs) explained very well. Um, There is a, there is a closing moment of the film that's meant to be kind of that, Sure. Resolution that question. And I think it's completely unearned. And I don't feel like the movie got to that point. And I still don't understand the connective tissue with what we're, where, where it's supposed to go with the Soprano show. So that being said, on its surface, it's a fine Mm. gangster. The death it was fine. There were some moments I really liked. There were a lot of performances I really liked. I thought the acting was really good across the board. I thought there were some scenes that kind of stood out as like, wow, these are really, that's really Kind of an impressive scene and um, interesting moments, but I think the film is, I think the film is is a tried too hard to be cattail to all the Sopranos fans by mm-hmm. dropping in all the characters and having people mimic those characters and try to put on uh, performances as those other characters you may know from the show. It's a lot more fan service, and at the end of the day, I don't feel like the movie really answered the question it was setting out to answer. So that's my broadest interpretation of this re- of review of this film, Chris. I want to hear your thoughts. You well, are someone familiar with the show. Yes,
2: I did. So I did watch, watch all the, the seasons of it. I'd
1: like to hear your opinion because it's probably going to be from a different perspective. Well,
2: than you know, me. the interesting thing is, um, you kind of were able to achieve what I wish. I, I, I wanted my wife to see this with me, but our schedules. She didn't have a chance to stay with me. She's never seen The Sopranos, mm-hmm. um, and she watches a lot of movies with me. So sometimes it's interesting just to get her perspective on what she thought of the movie when she has no idea of the background. Mm-hmm. um. So, but yes, like you said, I'd, I'd watch the show, but I felt like the movie to me was just constantly frustrating because my mind was like, wait, who's that character supposed to be? Mm-hmm. I need like a pop-up video version, mm-hmm. even though I'd seen the episodes of the show and I recognized like the one big character that they kind of, which I guess they're saying is who made Tony Soprano would be the, um, Alessandro Nivola plays Dickie Moltisanti. Yeah. Okay. And he's like, who is who is um, Christopher, who is in the Soprano series? It's his dad. His father. Okay. So, but it, he's like, he was very influential in forming Tony Soprano. Okay. So I won't go into all the other minutia for people who don't understand this show Sopranos because it wouldn't make any sense. But, but so he's the one that's kind of is kind of a central character of this film. Yeah. And I liked him. And, but what was kind of crazy is they had all these other figures that were like members of the mafia that you would, you'd be like, Oh wait, I'm supposed to know who this is. And then yeah. that would distract me from trying to follow what the heck was trying See, to go on in the film. <laughs> <You're> like, <"Bah." laughs> I didn't know the
1: worry about that. I didn't know the worry about I'm like, and, yeah, I don't know who that is.
2: And some of them were kind of entertaining. I will say, uh, Corey Stoll, who was in House of Cards. People yes. may recognize him from House of Cards. He was also in one of the Ant Man movies yes. as Yellow Jacket. And mm-hmm. I believe he's going to be in the upcoming Ant Man movie as well okay. as Yellow Jacket. Yeah. I do
1: like him a lot. He's oh, a good actor. Yeah. And he
2: played Junior Soprano. And that was mm-hmm. so that was kind of fun. And that's kind of. That, They really threw you a bone with that one because he's bald and wears the glasses. You're like, oh, okay. I I, I know who that is.
1: Still didn't know who that
2: (laughs) was. But I liked his character. Right, right. He was engaging enough. Mm -hmm. And another guy who I can imagine you totally didn't know what he was doing. And you may not have been able to appreciate him at all. But I wondered if you recognized it was John Mazzaro from First Cow. And he played – you won't know the character's name – but Silvio, who had a hairpiece that kept messing up, and had this certain kind of walk that he does in the series, he's played by the guy who was in the E Street Band. Oh with, yeah, yeah. Um,
1: okay, uh, Van Zant. Yes, uh,
2: so, yeah, he plays Van Zant's character.
1: Okay, and so I did pick up on that. Okay, you did because and again, I, I having seen mannerisms. fleeting moments of right. The Sopranos, <laughs> and I knew that um, Van Zant—I I forget his name too—Stephen,
2: Stephen Steven Van Zant. Yeah. yeah,
1: I knew Stephen Van Zant is in The Sopranos, gotcha. and when I saw this guy putting on this kind of caricature. Like, I'm like, okay, that's okay. that looks kind of familiar <laughs> to what I remember. And see, that.
2: it was yeah. fun and eerie, especially some scenes towards the end. It's like Christmas time. And he's talking with, um, Maltesanti and he's having these like serious conversations about taking Tony under his wing and stuff like that. Um, he really embodied the character that Stephen Van Zant had spent all those seasons mm-hmm. building up. So that was really cool. But at the end of the day, I think I kind of, I think I fall where you do where, and I'm I liked the Sopranos but I guess I'm not a super fan and I think sadly that's what this film is made for. It's made for the Sopranos super fans. Mm-hmm. And I ultimately I don't know if it's even going to be satisfying to them. Yeah. Because I feel like the end of this movie without spoiling anything uh does nothing but leave it open for a sequel. There
1: yeah, that I guess that's my biggest issue with the film and again, I, I don't know what their plans are with no, this don't whole do I. idea but you know, we we end the story again. We're building for two hours. It's it's, right. it's a story where you you meet Tony Soprano well, as a and both he, a young boy and he a comes teenager. In
2: are like, I felt like he was really absent for like almost the first forty five minutes. I mean, he's you see him as a like a really little boy, but like he doesn't really do anything except kind of pop mm-hmm. his head in, and it was but, only and, and you don't even see um, Gandolfini playing young Tony, you don't see him until halfway through. So you're like, dude, I I was like, okay, where, you know, where is he? And that's,
1: that's why I think when you make your whole marketing pitch on this film, who made Tony Soprano, I'm like, well, the movie's not really about Tony Soprano. No, it tries to, I feel like shoehorn him in, in the last 20, 30 minutes and say, oh yeah, we got to make this movie all about Tony Soprano. And it doesn't really, he's more of just a, a, another player in the whole cast. I will say, uh, Michael Gandolfini is really good. Uh, I he, thought I thought his performance was really he's good. It's a shame he's not
2: given more to do. And I know. He's not in more of the I movie. But, um, yeah.
1: but, you know, we I, I like the character they build of Tony Soprano as a, a teenager. I liked yeah. him. I mean, and it's a different character than I think people may be expecting him to be. And that's part of the whole idea of the story is what transforms him from this kid we meet halfway through the movie. Right. That's a good kid. He's means he, you know, he's just got a good head on his shoulders. He's wanting to do the right thing. And then you see a little bit of, of movement with him, but not a lot. And then by the end, we're supposed to assume that because of the actions that had just happened in the last you know, little bit of this film, that now that's transformed him into something. And I just didn't buy it. I'm mean, like, I, you're right. I think there's a whole nother chapter that they need to tell of, okay, now that he's kind of gotten a little bit involved in this world, Right. How did he really go from this to what you see, I guess, in episode one of the Sopranos? The Sopranos. You know, right. and I don't feel like there's—I don't feel like they bridge that at all. So you could kind of easily walk away from this movie saying, well, "I just spent two hours. And I don't really feel like I got anything out of it that helps me understand the the, the original series anymore." If that's what the intent of the film was, I hope that the film was intended to be more of a standalone piece of entertainment, and it halfway succeeded on that. But I just felt like. At the end of the day, I, I felt like I was just watching a big teaser for something <laughs> yeah. else. Yeah. And that was, I guess, a little disappointing to walk away from it with. But um, but I will say, I you know, acting-wise, I thought was really sharp. I thought it looked really good. I think it was shot really well. I think it was, you know, a great use of music through the film. I mean, it, it had all the makings of a really good film. Okay. It just, I felt like the story just did not know what it wanted to tell by the end of the story. And and if it was all just a setup to do a the many more saints of Newark (laughs) as another film, then that's a little disappointing because I don't that's what that wasn't what we were trying to buying into there.
2: And that's what it felt like to me. And I think also I remember back when the show was on The Sopranos, you know, people would dissect it as much as they dissected Game of Thrones and as much as they dissect, you know, all these other TV episodes that we see, you know, currently they do it with Ted Lasso where. You air an episode, and then immediately people say, oh, well, that was an off episode. It's not good because of these reasons. Or everybody slams the internet saying how good an episode was. This feels like an episode of The Sopranos that was just okay.
0: Yeah. And
2: people would be like, oh, it was cool that we saw a young version of it. But then overall, it would just kind of wash into the wasteland of memory, yeah. and nobody would really remember it. And that, that's that is disappointing. But I think- Sopranos fans that are just so desperate for more content. Well, you got something and you may think it's kind of cool, but it does seem like a waste because I agree. The cast I thought was really, really good. Oh, yeah. The um, whole, every, I mean, let me just call
1: out a few. You've already mentioned Alexandra Nivola, really good. Yeah. As uh, Dicky uh, Um he basically was the lead in the film yeah. and he, he was an interesting character. That's the thing is that I really was kind of intrigued by him. He, he,
2: you know, Well, you can see how he kind of gave some of his DNA to Tony, which that's the point, was that he wanted to do good. He coaches like a blind baseball team, Mm -hmm. and he wants to feel like he's doing something worthwhile.
1: (laughs) Just the moment you're actually starting to kind of root for the guy, then he goes and does something that's irredeemable.
2: (laughs) Right. And it's just, okay. So, yeah, it has that thing where he struggles with himself about the light and the dark, but he totally is – 100% 100% completely willing to go dark. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, Well, and then you had, okay, so I've got a question. Sure. I may or may not be able to answer Leslie Odom
1: gonna, Jr. in this film plays Harold McBrayer. Yes. Also, really good acting. I, I thought his performance People was would know him from so Hamilton. And, right. And I think, uh, what was the film that, oh, uh, One Night in One Miami, Night in Miami, right? he played um, the singer. and Oh, I'm, yeah. Sorry, I'm blanking on the Is name. Is it
2: Al, Al Green? No, Al?
1: not Al Green, but I,
2: I can't remember. He'll come back
1: to us. <laughs> anyway, very, very good actor. Sure. Very talented. And so he has a whole subplot and kind of a mixture into this world. That didn't carry over to the series, correct? Like his his whole storyline character and, and
2: I don't believe so. But I, there again, you know, super fans would know better than well, me. Anyway, I just I
1: don't believe so. I thought it was interesting. I liked I liked his character, I liked his story, but I it didn't go anywhere by the end of the day. I didn't really understand what the point was. John Bernthal playing Johnny Soprano, who is you know uh, Tony Soprano's father. Right, I thought he was very good. He, I always like him a lot too. He's uh, uh he was great. Ver, Vera uh, Vera Farmiga, yeah, yeah, Lavia Soprano, I thought was really good. Almost unrecognizable at first, and. I got confused because I knew what Tony Soprano's wife and the Sopranos looked like. I'm glad that man, wasn't just
2: me. It looked just like her. So, yeah, the wife's character's name is uh, Carmella yeah. and Soprano, obviously. And Edie Falco played her right. all throughout the run of the show. And the same thing, when I would see teasers of this movie, I was like, oh, cool. Edie Falco is reprising her role or reprising. She's coming back to the Sopranos, but she's playing tony's mom so it'd be like this weird like which is weird, <laughs> weird thing. but it turns out like no it's a completely different Vera Farmiga, she does who's famous but I she, she has liked...
1: the mannerisms and everything yeah. of carmela so right. yeah so the interesting
2: um, thing where, like you could say tony married his mother because like yeah. <laughs> they
1: definitely were going for so, that angle there
2: yeah okay so i'm glad that wasn't just me i thought no, that was maybe no. just me and but, then um
1: okay. ray liota um surprising roles um yeah, yeah, I'm not gonna spoil too much of it, but he basically okay. gets to play a dual role. He does, which which um, is
2: weird sup- that they would do that, but kind of neat.
1: It was no, actually, I thought it was really actually it was kind of very when uh, he played one version of his like, character. Oh yeah, here he is, and then <laughs> then he was gone. And then the other one shows up. It's a little jarring at first, it and is. then you realize, oh, they're they're twins. Okay, <laughs> but he did give each of them some nuance and different characteristics. So I thought I actually really liked his performance as the second,
2: mm. yeah, uh,
1: brother, the one in prison. Same here. I thought was really good. Um, anyway, so yeah, performances were all great. I thought the direction, I thought the look of the film was great. er, Production value, everything was good. Mm -hmm. It's just the story. I just wish the story went somewhere or had a goal of what it was trying to do by the end. And I don't feel like it reached it.
2: Yeah, I think we're on the exact same page. Like I was saying, it just kind of seems like a ho-hum episode of The Sopranos.
1: Um, Now, this had been broken out and been like two or three episodes of The Sopranos kind of played out as a truly a prequel like type a story of story, then I think something. that's okay. That's fine. But to make it like it, it's a movie, it's like, you know, right. it's going out in theaters, it's going out in big release. And if it's a, if it's a goal to try to bring in new viewers, I don't see how it's possible <laughs> to do. Sure. If it's to a- appease super fans, like you said, okay. Yeah. I think there's little tidbits that, you know, people are going to enjoy from it but I still feel like it just kind of leaves more of a gap in the storytelling than anything. And just, it's, it's just a placeholder. It's just a little check Mark on on the list, as opposed to an actual development story for me.
2: I will say too something that, um, yeah, I felt like overall the film wasn't very cinematic to me. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so it did feel like, like I said, an episode of Sopranos and just an okay one at that, but you referenced the ending of the film, which we won't spoil for people who want to go see it either on HBO Max or in the theater. Um, Although I can see your point about it not feeling truly earned because yeah. it was like this big, but I like how they shot it. No. And I thought it was yes. a cool, I thought it was a cool way to end the film, but yes. I can see how you feel like, well, it's not really, it's no, not really earned. The
1: shot itself is awesome. <laughs> right. And I love it. What they did okay. with that scene. Okay. The problem is the Tony Soprano character up I- to that point, there's absolutely in my belief, nothing in this film... That would have brought him to the point of accepting that last shot. Okay. Okay. Because up to that point, he still is rejecting everything and he doesn't see. And now someone very close to him has had a, a real tragic situation. You would think that that would be the kind of thing that would kind of scare him away further or make him but yet somehow we're supposed to believe that this is now the moment where he becomes the tony soprano and i i just didn't buy it now maybe you're right maybe there is a second film a, a second prequel that's going to show more of that development but that last shot's pretty clear in indicating that that was supposed to be the moment where <laughs> he becomes tony soprano because it even then leads into the theme song oh yeah from the TV show I'm like okay well yeah it's obviously what they're wanting us to know but I just don't feel like it was earned
2: right so anyway I, I liked how it was shot I even did the smile did cross my face when I heard the theme song cranking up but uh yeah overall unearned but I did think it was a cool cool it's a cool shot yeah. I just
1: wish there had been a few more scenes to kind of show us Tony's state of mind leading up to that because I just I didn't buy it sure so um and that's again not from someone who's ever watched the show <laughs> I right? just know that he is a pretty powerful uh, 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 gangster mafia guy in the show. So,
2: Well, and I think, okay, so you take away, like we've, we've referenced, and this is kind of, we're wrapping everything up, but the movie doesn't really stand alone. And I, I feel like if you were to watch the movie, if somebody who loves mafia movies or loves that you know, kind of genre, and then you think about The Godfather, you think about Goodfellas, you think about all these films that have been made prior, Casino, you know, all, all the mafia stuff. And you watch this and there's just nothing that jumps out at you Mm -hmm. or seems really like interesting or like an aspect that hasn't been explored. That's what's so disappointing was the Sopranos TV show just really like I don't know, really showed a lot of different facets of the mafia life and had really interesting characters. And this just seems like if this Sopranos had never existed mm-hmm. and this was just a film that came out, people were like, oh, okay. Like they just – there would be right. nothing to remember no, you're about right. it. So, I, I think it's
1: an argument to be said that some some content, some some stories are meant for the more longer-term episodic mm-hmm. development. And I think the Sopranos, I mean, obviously, obviously it. Obviously was one, Trying to sure. take the Sopranos, the show, and condense it into a two-hour movie that can – maybe stand on its own doesn't work. But again, I argue if you were to take the things discussed and done in this film and spread them out over two or three episodes of the Sopranos, It actually kind of works because then it feeds into a larger story, a larger, larger, you know, you don't need every episode to be completely revolutionary on its own. Sure. With a movie, you kind of look for that. You want there to be a beginning, middle, end, and there's like a story. With episodic, you're like, I don't need the whole story in one hour episode. That's why I'm investing in a longer term series. And I think, you know, it's always a challenge when you're trying to adapt something that's been historically episodic into a movie form. Think about the Mm X-Files movies, okay? That was one that I don't think the movies worked because it was trying to do the same thing, trying to cram this whole long-term episodic into, oh, hey, let's do an hour-and-a-half-long movie and make it work. Um, And I know there's probably some other examples of TV shows that then turned into a a movie to address either as a prequel or a sequel to the show.
2: I'm Um, sure you know all about the Downton Abbey movie that came (laughs) out.
1: Well, I mean, and I I didn't watch the movie, but I mean, that's another example where, I mean, the movies, I don't think did great. I don't think, you know, I don't think it just people were clamoring for more movies because, again, you were more invested in the longer term development show instead of trying to cram it into two hours. So anyway, it was interesting experiment to see this film, especially not having been familiar with the show. But on the surface, again, I think there's a lot to like with the film. I just I think there's going to be a lot of disappointment walking away from it. That it just doesn't really give you anything uh, tangible at the end of the day. Sure. And, and I do feel like for a film that's all about supposed to be the origin of Tony Soprano, he was fairly underutilized, Agreed. which is a shame because I did and really enjoy watching Michael Gandolfini's performance. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, he got his dad's mannerisms down, <laughs> down pat, you know, sure. I think it was very, very clearly obvious um, that he was the same character, basically. You know? I
2: wonder if it would have been changed if, mm-hmm. from the very beginning of the movie, you saw Michael Gandolfini on screen as Tony. Like, if they would have, instead of him coming in at about the hour mark, playing Tony Soprano, because they had him, you know, if he yeah. would have just been there the whole time, if maybe that would have helped a little bit.
1: Maybe. And I also think, I, I didn't mention this earlier, but, you know, the, the narration construct here is... Challenging again for someone not familiar with the show.
2: Uh, A lot of people. Okay, as somebody who'd watched the show, I liked it. Yeah, but um, I've heard we won't reveal because that's kind of a spoiler if you haven't seen it. Um, I liked it, but yeah, I hadn't even thought about it. If you don't haven't watched the show, you're like, wait, what?
1: Now, luckily, I had my wife sitting (laughs) next to me, and she kind of clued me in on who it was. I'm like, oh, got it. Okay, but yeah, that's that was a little jarring as well. Because that provides Um,
2: some interesting irony at some points. But yeah, if you don't, it really makes the
1: whole relationships work a little bit better in the film but again it's some back knowledge you've got to have and i yeah it's, it's a it's a tough movie it's, sure. it's tough and that i i enjoyed it on the surface <clears throat> but i do think there's a lot of caveats to actually keep in you know mind the one it.
2: if i if i were to say i felt like the story didn't really go anywhere didn't achieve like really telling us about the growth of tony soprano But I will say that was the most interesting thing about it to me was when that narration would kind of come in. It was kind of like, huh, there's some color commentary kind of, I guess sometimes, you know, pointing out something really obvious to you, but like, oh yeah, that is interesting that this happened and that's what this means. But yeah. Well, it also
1: explained to me too, why in the IMDb listing, why a certain actor is listed on uh, the cast, even though you never see him. So yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that was a lot longer about the many saints of Newark than I expected us to talk, but is an interest I think it's just an interesting film project. And I think kind of it just you can approach it from a lot of different angles. So I did find value to it. I did find it to be on the surface entertaining in its own right. I just feel like it was very unresolved and very at the end of the day, very uh, non consequential. You Got know, you. and that was the little disappointment I got coming away from it. And again, I, I think for that ending scene to work, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta earn it a little bit more in the film. And I don't think the film did. Um, so that being said, I'm recommending it, but it's kind of a tepid recommendation with a lot of caveats. So <laughs> okay, fair yeah. enough.
2: you you're coming away. I, I would recommend it for super fans only. Okay. Um, but anybody so, else you feel like probably you can probably just skip it. Skip it yeah. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, that is The Many Saints of Newark. It is in movie theaters and on HBO Max as we record right now. Um, so we're a little, little mixed on it, but uh, maybe some value there if you're in the demographic to, to enjoy this film. OK, let's move on to our second review, Chris, which is the film Dear Evan Hansen.
0: Dear Evan Hansen, today is going to be an amazing day, and here's why.
2: Have you been doing those letters to yourself with Dr. Sherman?
0: I've been trying to. Have you ever felt like nobody was there? Um, no one's on your cast. Now we can both pretend we are friends.
1: I'm sorry about my brother.
0: Have you ever felt forgotten? In the middle of nowhere. I wish everything was different. Wish I was part of something. wish that anything I said mattered. Have you ever felt like you could disappear? Dear Van Hansen Yeah, yeah, that's mine. I'll, I'll I'll just take it. Wait, I really I need that back. You could fall and no one would hear. Connor took a letter from me and it was an assignment from my therapist, you Even when the dark comes crashing through. Connor's mother and stepfather are here to see you. When you need a friend. Connor wanted you to have this. And when you're broken on the ground. Dear Evan Hansen, he wrote it to you. His last words Connor took his own life. He what? I'm sorry, Connor didn't write this. No, no, no. Please. It's this. You will be found. We didn't think Connor had any friends. Are you really going to tell these people that the only thing they have left of their son is a letter that you wrote to yourself? So,
2: you and Connor, tell us something, please.
0: Right. Um, I started talking and you couldn't stop. They didn't want me to stop. I'm putting together a memorial service. If you wanted to do something... Connor showed me that, that I wasn't alone. Nobody is. So let that lonely feeling wash away. Maybe there's a reason to believe you'll be okay I didn't know that you were hurting Cause when you don't feel strong enough to stand A lot of people feel like us You can reach, reach out your hand
2: People started sharing it, it's everywhere
0: I don't understand what happened You did You don't know how much you've given my family and me friends with him. I never meant to make it such a mess. I was trying to help. If you knew who I am, just how broken I am. I already
2: know you.
1: In Dear Evan Hansen, Chris, we have the story of a high school senior who suffers from social anxiety disorder as he uh, takes a journey of self-discovery and acceptance following the suicide of a fellow classmate. Now, Chris, this is an adaptation, another adaptation, kind of interesting to be doing it after our first review, but of a different form, a film adaptation of the Tony and Grammy award-winning musical, Stage Musical. Uh, We have Ben Platt playing Evan Hansen, who is the same individual who played him in the stage performance. Uh, Very lauded, uh, you know, uh, award winning performance, both as actor and singing on stage in this in this play. And then now he's playing the same role here in the film version. Chris, this is a film that I, I never want other reviews to skew our own opinions of a film. But I am curious your take on this. This is a film that got a lot of online hate, like even from the trailer coming out. Right. Because of the idea that you have Ben Platt, who I think at the time of the making of this film was maybe 28, somewhere in that neighborhood age-wise, playing a high schooler. And the trailer didn't, didn't help the film's efforts any because it very clearly showed how a 28-year-old trying to play a high schooler was a little odd to see. And I think a lot of people took umbrage with it and really just kind of skewered it online. But I think there's maybe other reasons why people kind of have been ravaging this film a little bit more. It did not do well box office. Uh, it, a lot of critics have really been down on the film. I think there's some other reasons, but I'm kind of curious to hear your thoughts on just on the surface, what you thought of Dear Ab- Evan Hansen. Were you familiar with the the musical at all beforehand going into this? Had you know? I don't know if you had seen it or not, but uh, how does this film stand? Kind of like we talked about with *Many Saints in New York*. Does this sure. film work on its own as a film, or is it only for the people who are really fans of the musical?
2: Or right. Not? Yeah. Um, so you brought up the one thing that um, I was hoping—I wish I hadn't heard because I, you just can't escape it. And my wife, unfortunately, you know, here again, she sees a lot of movies with, and she saw this one with me. Unfortunately, I'd kind of babble about it. So the movie starts, and she's like, uh, "Yeah, he looks ridiculous as a high schooler." <laughs> so. I wish like somehow I could just wipe all that from my mind yeah. because it it is – it and it wasn't as distracting for her, I get, But for me, it was just like almost every time he was on screen, it was just like that just doesn't – it would have been no different if like an 85-year-old man had been walking around. It just doesn't – and I, I don't know the whole process like – you know, could they have just cast everyone older? And so Mm -hmm. that way, yeah, they're supposed to be playing high school, but then it wouldn't have been as jarring. That was my
1: approach to it. It Because people uh,
2: play, people play younger, people play a lot older. Like people, it's dumb. I mean,
1: I harken back to the days of Greece where (laughs) the entire cast of the film in Greece, but they all were older. Right. And so that's, That okay, yeah, we're gonna get to that. I think that would have been the way to fix this is you need to make everybody a 20-something year old actor playing high schoolers. But to see him acting alongside very, very obviously much much younger, closer to high school age, it was tough. It's very tough. Anyway, it was it was
2: tough. And so and I I, and I can't say that there was anything wrong Mm. with Ben Platt's performance. Obviously, he knows how to sing he knows how to sing these songs. He could probably close his eyes and just walk around like he, he just knows everything. Cause he did it on Broadway for so long, but in a way that, so I don't find anything wrong with his performance. I think he did a, a fine job, but I will say, I just think he was miscast because of the age thing, either cast everybody up or, you know, subdu- yeah. fix it somehow. And in so doing, I, I, I will say I liked the film. Okay. I was familiar with the music. I'd never seen a performance, but in my head I'd kind of pieced together like sure. little things that had happened um, I realized there is some differences in the film. There are some songs that are left out mm-hmm. um, because, I guess, running time or whatever. You know, which, which happened. Same thing happened with In the Heights. Some people were disappointed mm-hmm. that they left some stuff out. Um, but overall, I enjoyed the film. And I wish I wouldn't have had that huge elephant in the room yeah, of Ben know, Platt's it was, performance. It was, it was tough. But I think, in a way, um, what just really surprised me was how much I was – amazed at the performances of caitlin deaver and Mm -hmm. julianne moore when they sang Mm -hmm. because caitlin deaver for those who may may or may not she was in book smart and so when i saw her in this she plays um connor who's the one who passes away um that evan hansen like gets in with connor's family uh she plays connor's sister and so you know, she has some songs and when she, I was like, huh, I'll be interested to see her sing. And man, does she sing? And I think she does a really good job. And that it was kind of like, wow, I feel like, so I was more drawn to her performance and not even seeing Ben Platt as Evan Hansen because she was much more interesting, I yeah. think. And then there's, you know, there's a moment towards the end of the musical. Actually, I think it is kind of mm-hmm. well, it's close to the end yeah. where uh, Julianne Moore in the play, I understand she has the character of Evan Hansen's mom has two, maybe three songs in this film. She has one song Mm -hmm. and boy, (laughs) boy, does she nail it? And it was just like, and I didn't even know. Maybe others are aware that Julianne Moore could sing. I I wasn't aware. So, you know, she starts off and I'm like, Oh, you know, cool. She is going to sing this song and man. And like, she like, they might have well not have been plat on screen. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, I, she just is like such a presence, which you know she's a good actress, but she just owns it. I, I feel like Axe him under the table yeah. <laughs> in that scene. Like, it was really amazing. So, for that reason alone, you know, I just, I th- there were things in the film that kept me much more engaged and interested in it. Do I think it's perfect? No. Um, but I will say, and it, it's unfortunately, I think it's because the whole casting thing that people hear yeah. about before and people ravage online. I think it's unfair to totally eviscerate it. Like I think in Letterboxd it has like a 2. Yeah, no, I um, <laughs> so yeah. I, I don't think it's that bad. It is problematic, but it's not worth th- dismissing the film as a whole. What 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 were some of your thoughts?
1: Yeah, um I I did enjoy the film. Okay. Um I think yes, the the age uh, was distracting. And it made it a little tough for me to completely just buy into it. I, I okay. just kept wondering during the whole film. I mean, I know Ben Platt's so good in this role, sure, but but how great would it have been if you had a true
2: teenager that was a good singer, a good actor to perform this. Did you, did it make you think of in the Heights where yeah. Lin-Manuel Miranda could have reprised his role, yeah. but instead said, no, you know he's what? Like, no, I'm what, I'm going to give it to Anthony Ramis who's younger and fits the part. I'll still get a bit part in the film. Yeah. But I'm gonna kind of step away. And it worked. Yeah, and And it it worked. And it
1: worked. I I I think it I I think the part of the problem, I I think the reason why this film is not doing hasn't done very well box office wise. Yeah, you got all the online hate, which I agree is is too unfortunate. It's not warranted for the film. But I think the casting choices on that, and also I think the fact that it, it doesn't seem like from what I know about the actual musical that that the movie really is doing anything different.
2: Okay.
1: from a, For a film perspective. Gotcha. Okay. And with a couple of exceptions, you know, comparing it to In the Heights. In the Heights, you have this big palette now of a movie set and a, and a movie making to work with. And they really kind of played with it. There was a lot more. There were some really creative moments. There were some really like imagined, uh, almost real, just visually aesthetic, interesting moments that you couldn't pull off on a stage performance. Sure. Dear Evan Hansen, I gotta feel like, with very, very few exceptions, probably almost everything you saw in the film could be fairly equally represented on the stage performance, and I think that's just a reason why you know people aren't flocking to the film. And it wasn't a problem for me because I had not seen the stage musical, gotcha. So it was all new to me, mm-hmm. but I could also see that being a little bit of an issue. Um, I, I just, yeah, I just kept wondering if you just had some even unknown. Young performer to play this part, and make a career uh, a career span a real career defining part for somebody young. How great the movie would have been, I think, because it would have just carried everything through. And again, nothing against Ben Platt because he's really, really good. Right? It's just, it's just so tough to really enjoy the movie at its full potential well, because of that. It's
2: kind of when you know, because maybe you don't know, but you, even though you'd never seen the play, you knew, okay, this is the guy who did this role on yeah, Broadway. You're constantly so thinking that. He's already a huge star. And yeah. for a huge star to be playing this, why nobody notices. him, it's, it's kind of hard to block. And there's that a little
1: out. bit of the watching him perform and thinking, okay, well, he's just kind of going through his same motions yes. with this performance that he's been doing for years where I would rather have seen somebody doing it almost like they were doing it for the first time, truly experiencing this story. Um, yes. Cause it's a, it's a devastating story. It's a, it's a, um, it's you heavy. know, it, it's a heavy story and it and it, and it ends in a place where I was happy. The story ended where it could have gone in a lot of different directions. And I think it, it and I was always worried it was going to take, pull off a little more of a, a Hollywood ending and it didn't. Right. Which I was really thankful for. Um, But yeah, I liked the movie. I just, I think it could have done a little more. I think it could have been a little more inventive with how it told this story, especially seeing how it's been portrayed on this one way on a stage for so many years. And I think the, the lead actor was probably the biggest key of how it could have really done something different. If it had swapped that out, I will say calling out a few things, I'll echo what you said about some of the performers. I thought they were all really good. Um, maybe Amy Adams is be the one I'd say didn't click as well for me. Actually, I think her and the the actor that played her husband, I had a tougher time with their roles. I I don't feel like they worked as well. Danny Pino as Larry, uh, his wife, uh, or Amy Adams, uh, Cynthia Murphy. Those two just didn't quite work as well for me. And maybe it was because Amy Adams is again, a, a bigger name and it just didn't seem to fit for me. Okay. Uh, I don't feel like their performances really fit uh, what, the, what the movie was going for. But everybody else, uh, Amanda Steinberg, uh, Colton Ryan as as Connor, um, you know, all the younger actors I thought really, really good. And you mentioned Caitlin Dever, of course. Um, Julianne Moore, I was a little concerned, just like Amy Adams, kind of a bigger name being in the film, but she totally did it. I mean, it worked. It worked <laughs> yeah. really well. So, um, So I enjoyed the film. I just, I feel like it could have done more – and I think there's things they could have taken to battle some of the unfortunate online hate they've been getting for this movie since releasing it.
2: Which is an interesting thing because this film deals deals with not necessarily bullying, but online opinions and online things and the yeah. good and bad of the internet <laughs> and right. Facebook and everything. So to, of- to have it actually be a victim of online rage or something <laughs> um, is is interesting in itself. So
1: yeah. I, I will say a couple – standout moments for me um there's a a song and i don't know if it's from the i'm assuming it's in the musical it's a song early in the film uh it's evan singing alongside connor uh the two of them kind of singing through some different letters that that they're going to put together that supposedly the two of them wrote to each other that's
2: from the play okay
1: and that's wildly entertaining. Very, very well done. (laughs) It is. I wish more of the movie had that kind of inventive style and tone to it. Sure. And uh, there were some moments late in the film with Evan climbing a tree and just leaving that a lot of imagery, a lot of kind of dream sequences that I thought worked really well as well. I just wish the film had kind of been a little more inventive with telling the story than just, Treating it almost like a, a play-by-play of the stage performance, you know. Um,
2: yeah, I, I I can see that. So, um, sincerely, me is yes. the song that you're referencing and performance in the film, and yeah, that really worked. And I think you know I was hesitant because the film opens and one of my favorite songs, even though I've never seen the play, but I've listened to the soundtrack, waving through a window. It just wasn't clicking for me. I think mm-hmm. it was the awkwardness of seeing Ben Platt and seeing that he's older than he should be and just kind of knowing I'm like, yep, it doesn't look right. <laughs> I think yeah. that's when my wife leaned over to me and said something about it. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Um, but I feel like there are certain ones in the film that he did really nail. And, you know, he it's not that there was anything wrong with his performance. It just wasn't working. But sincerely me, that was one that I think had to be nailed and it was. Yeah. I mean, he was, was really, really, and, really you know, good. The guy playing Connor was doing a really good job and then the other one that I felt like really had to be delivered, and I feel like it was, even though, you know, it wasn't perfect and everything, but um, You Will Be Found, the one where he's giving the speech up on the stage. Oh, right. about and yeah, I yeah. felt like that, no, that. That worked. I felt like that worked. Yeah. And I felt like if that hadn't worked, or, you know, if one of those two hadn't worked, then the film just, you know, I be, I'd be lower on the film overall.
1: I think but. it's just, I mean, if I want, if we want to talk bigger about the the theme of the film. Hmm. I See, think, and
2: all that works for me.
1: No, no, no. The yeah. whole—I mean, everything, story, theme. I think coming back to this—the this same root issue with the lead performer. You know, the whole theme is people at a very, uh, a very tough time in their life. Those teenage years, those years where they're trying to figure out who they're going to be, and with so much online pressure of people able to, you know. Uh, share so easily, but also get completely criticized and viewed by others so easily Mm -hmm. to hear, to hear a motivational song from a almost 30 year old (laughs) to speaking to the, the, these high schoolers and these, these teenagers, I, I, it just, it made it tough. It made it tough. And again, how much more powerful would it have been to have a 18, 19 year old performer up there singing this song and giving this, yeah, 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 that would have been, Really, really impressive. So sure. again, I, and I know it sounds like we're kind of bashing on Ben Platt. We're not because he's really good no. and he knows his part and Absolutely. he's really, really great at it. It's just unfortunate that that's the direction they took for this film because I feel like it could have had a lot more impact and performed better. I think it could have spoke to a bigger audience if it didn't, if it can kind of get past all the online jeering it got, which, you know, maybe was a little extreme, but. I can understand where people are coming from kind of being disappointed with that choice. Sure. Yeah. So that is dear Evan Hansen. Um, sounds like we both enjoyed it. There's a lot there to like, but you do kind of have to wrestle with some of the casting choices that were made. And, um, if you can kind of get past that and I think the film still got a lot of value and a lot is a worthwhile story to watch. And again, I love the story and I love, you know, um, the overall themes it's discussing.
2: I'll go ahead and throw out. And yes, it's based on the performance of, um, the song that Julianne Moore does. I will admit that's probably what's making me say it, but I would love it if she got like a best supporting actress nomination for her role in the dear Evan Hansen thing, because I've Evan this film, because I just think it's such a new facet of her that I was not aware of. And I think she really does a good job. So, um, but I, I don't think, I don't know if it'll happen, but, uh, Maybe it'll get on, It'll get on my ballot. I'll say it that way. <laughs> okay.
1: All right. Well, that is Dear Evan Hansen. It is in theaters only. Right. Um, I feel like this is the one film, one film that was that went to theaters only that probably would have benefited better if it had been streaming.
2: Hmm. Interesting. I
1: think from a box office standpoint, Got I you. think this is a tough sell for people still wary about going out to theaters and theaters still trying to build up their their box office receipts this is one that I think kind of maybe crippled itself a little bit by going theater only. I'm I'm not saying theaters should all be, or studios should be pushing all their films online, but this is one that kind of screamed for make it online, make it available for as many people to see and hmm. hopefully get past some of the, the online hate that's out there. But instead it just had really, really poor box office returns and that's pretty much going to be it for the film, unfortunately. So, all right, that is dear Evan Hansen in theaters only right now. Um, Chris, we'd had our discussions of the many saints of Newark and dear Evan Hansen. We're going to take a quick little break. When we come back, we'll have our movie news segment and also our recommendations for the episode. So stay tuned. You're listening to foot candle films here on the mesh
0: This podcast is
1: sponsored by Jackson creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation.
2: To learn more, visit TheJacksonCreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story.
1: Hello and welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. Uh, Chris and I just had a nice off-air conversation continuing the discussion about age portrayal in films. It'll be interesting. Maybe we'll release it as like a, B, a B-side uh, lost episode at some point, Chris. But rest assured, if anybody really wants to talk more about how ages are being portrayed in films these days and some of the dangers of that, and maybe some double standards that exist, uh, drop us a note. We'd love to have a little conversation with you. So I wish, I wish stuff was recording more often, Chris, whenever we're talking about films (laughs) here in the hallways of our, our offices. But, um, and unfortunately, you as a listener, you just, you've got what we hit the record button for, and That's that right. is right now. So uh, Chris, we want to go into some movie news for everybody talking about some, uh, sometimes we talk about upcoming productions, and we're going to do that here in a little bit, but we have a more pressing news item that we did want to talk about something very near and dear to us, and also very recent just in the past week. It is our 2021 Foot Candle Film Festival that was held both online and in-person screenings here in Hickory, North Carolina. And uh, we had 37 films uh, featured during the course of the weekend. Uh, from uh, hundreds of submissions we received around the world. We whittled it down to the 37 that were shown and we had a great weekend of screenings and discussions and some filmmakers joining us for uh, discussions of their work. But uh, we want to announce the winners too, in case anybody was curious and had not heard the winners of the festival. Chris, let's uh, let's kind of go through some of the, the highlight, the winners of the uh, festival this year.
2: Sure. I'll hit the uh, two screenwriters that won for their best scripts. Great. And, um, I'll kind of also give you a little bit about what their scripts were about, just so you know. Uh, First off, we had uh, William Jody Ebert, and he was our second place winner for the screenwriting competition. And his script was Stories I Told My Father. And this was a screenplay about a scriptwriter who was living out in California and was falling on kind of hard times. And he gets a phone call from his sister that his father is not doing well. So he flies home to, I think it was Maine, um, flies home to Maine and kind of tells his father some stories because his father's in a lot of pain because he's dying of cancer. And he makes up stories on the spot and shares them with his father to kind of distract him from how he's feeling and in the screenplay these stories end up kind of taking on like miniature movies within the movie Mm -hmm. so um it's it's really good and kind of moving um so that was stories i told my father from william jody ebert and then taking home the first place prize was angelica belta which was a screenplay by michael vincent montgomery and that short little synopsis on that screenplay is it kind of takes place during the time that Raphael, Michelangelo and Leonardo da Vinci were all living and working in kind of the same area and kind of the competitions that go on between them and gives you kind of a glimpse into some of the process of maybe of the painters and their idiosyncrasies. And it's, it's really interesting. So it's, more of a historically accurate maybe than some of the things that were like in Da Vinci code, as far as things that were kind of intrigue that may have been taking place in that time with that film. Um, This film tries to take a little bit more historical, you know, accurate maybe. Mm -hmm. um, But it still has that kind of thriller type thing. To me, it reminded me of something like Amadeus, which was originally a play that was adapted into a movie, but where you learned about the relationship between Mozart and Salieri, this kind of had some of that stuff going on. Um, So it was interesting to me. So uh, hopefully one day uh, we'll get to see one of those two as films.
1: Uh, that would be awesome. We enjoyed a great evening with those two script writers talking about their work and uh, happy to have them as winners and uh, continuing our trend of recognizing screenwriting Yes, uh, during our festival as well. So then when we get to the actual films themselves, uh, film awards, we actually had six awards we gave out during the festival weekend. And Chris, let's just kind of, we'll kind of bat these back and forth between us. Sure. Because I'm trying to recall exactly all the names myself. I'm really bad with names, but I think we can muddle through this. Sure. Uh, so for the best narrative short film award, the winner for that was Mademoiselle Pigeon. Yes. And it's directed by. Do you have the name? Oh handy? no, I do not. Yeah, I'm 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 pulling up the names. I okay. feel bad. We're not properly prepared for our recording here, but I will have <laughs> the name here shortly of all the directors because I want to make sure we recognize them for their work. Uh, Mademoiselle Pigeon was the an animated. Uh, short film, which is interesting. I don't think we've had an animated win narrative short film
2: before. We have, have not. We? That was the first. For yeah.
1: Directed so. by Alexandra Mayotte. Uh, that was our winner for Best Narrative Short Film. Best Documentary Short Film was the film We Have Reached the Moment, directed by Christy Cooper and Liz Smith. Um, really happy to have Vic Barrett, uh, the subject of the documentary, join us for the festival and be able to talk about that experience. So, We Have Reached the Moment. Uh, Christy Cooper and Liz Smith. Chris, the Best Narrative Feature Film Award went to.
2: Best Narrative Feature Film Award went to Fires in the Dark, which was a film directed by. Dominique Leinhardt. There we go. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a narrative that takes place in uh, the Corsica, I think around Corsica, like on a beach, kind of an island near there, and deals with the people on the island come into terms with what they do to try to survive. Um, mm-hmm. So a very interesting film. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. It was great. Fires in the dark.
1: Uh, we also had a best documentary feature film, which was the film medicine man, the St- Stan Brock story directed by Paul Michael Engel. Engel. And uh, that was just a great story of a, a someone that probably don't have a lot of knowledge about, but uh, was a former uh, <laughs> uh, cowboy cowboy. Uh, Managed a ranch, was on Wild Kingdom as one of their animal wranglers and adventurers, and then dedicated his life to uh, helping provide free health care and dental care to uh, underserved populations around the United States. And that's what he did um, throughout the rest of his life. And very interesting story, interesting documentary. Very happy to have that as a winner of our judged categories this year. Then we had two audience favorite awards, and this is what was voted on by the audience in person for the uh, festival screenings that we held. Uh, The audience favorite short film was a film called Pant Hoot, directed by Richard Reins. And Chris, this was about...
2: um, So it was about a a genocide survivor who becomes a master chimpanzee linguist. So basically a guy who um, is able to talk to chimpanzees. Yeah, so
1: pretty interesting.
2: And then audience favorite feature film
1: was Television Event, directed by Jeff Daniels.
2: Not the Jeff Daniels of, no. like, Dumb and Dumber. Need to clarify <laughs> that.
1: Uh, but the film, uh, fascinating documentary. Yes. And our audience really, really uh, connected with it about the making of the TV movie The Day After, back in 1983. Mm-hmm. Kind of the impact that film had on our culture, on society, some of the production background of making the film in the first place and some of the the, the reasoning for doing so. It was, to me, just a really, really great documentary, and I'm glad to see it got an award for the audience favorite feature film as well. So that was our six film awards, along with our two script writing awards. Um, great assortment of films we got to recognize this year, yes. along with all the others. Were, all the others were uh, very well received and uh, got a lot of feedback, great feedback from our audience on all of them. So great. Any parting thoughts from you on the festival? I mean.
2: No, I th- it was a. Uh an achievement for us, for Alan and I, just because we were able to have a hybrid festival where, like last yeah. year, the films were available online, but it was nice to be able to have audiences in a theater watching films again. Yeah, they were you know, smaller audiences, which is understandable, um, but a lot of filmmakers who were able to attend the festival were thankful because for them – their films had been out on the festival circuit, but these were some of their first in-person screenings that they had had, and yeah. they were really excited about that. So yeah. that was special.
1: Uh, that was great. So thank you to everybody that was involved, all of our sponsors, volunteers, uh, attendees, filmmakers, everybody. Thank you for making a great festival. We had a, had a great time with it. All right, Chris, let's completely shift gears here okay. from critically acclaimed... Award-winning films that, you know, uh, we just get to really meet independent filmmakers on. Uh, and let's talk about the Halloween uh-huh. franchise series. Yes. <laughs> nice little pivot there. It is October. It it's is. time to talk Halloween. Sure. And I guess there is a little bit of connection here in that David Gordon Green, the director who started out as a very independent director that we actually had shown some of his films in our past screenings, is now kind of the shepherding the Halloween horror franchise. So, where we are with this right now, we have Halloween Ends coming up in just a couple. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Halloween kills, kills coming out in like two weeks, October mm-hmm. 15th. It's going to be both in theaters and on Peacock, the NBC streaming platform. Okay. Premiering on October 15th.
2: I'm guessing Peacock's paying a lot of money. For I guess that. so.
1: Right. So this is the second of three films that David Gordon Green is doing as a new Halloween franchise. We've mm-hmm. talked, we reviewed the, the first one. Yes. Uh, you know, the idea was they kind of disregarded every other Halloween sequel and said, we're just making a sequel to the original one. That's all we're kind of playing off of. And it's going to be three of them. So Halloween ends will be in October, 2022. Okay. So we know all that. Okay. What I thought Has was it interesting. it
2: been shot and completed? As I don't well? know. Okay. I don't know.
1: Um, But it is, they're saying October 2022. It is coming Mm -hmm. out. So I'm sure it has to have already some production work done on it, if nothing else. Sure. Here's what I thought was interesting. The reason I bring this up as a news item, and I don't know why I missed this back in July when I think this this news all came out. So, David Gordon Green, filmmaker you may know from both some comedies he did, um, uh, The Pineapple Express. Mm -hmm. Um, What was the medieval one that he did? (laughs) Your Uh, Highness. Your Highness. Uh, but then he also did some kind of critically acclaimed film, Joe, starring Nicolas Cage. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got his start with you know, a lot of smaller independent films. What was the one? The name of his first film? Um, George, George Washington. Washington. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, like I said, we, we screened a couple of his independent films years ago, too. So, you know, he's done this Halloween trilogy, which was a little surprising to us when it was announced. It seemed like an interesting match for him to work on. But uh, his, his journey into revisiting classic horror is not ending anytime soon. Hmm. Um, I did not realize this, but his next project that he's working on right now is a sequel to 1973's The Exorcist.
2: Oh, yes. Which there has been a sequel already to that. Right, right.
1: Uh, but I think they're going to take the same approach in that they're basically going to ignore that those other ones happened, and this will be a direct sequel to the 1973 original film. It's also Universal Pictures and Peacock are spearheading it. So this will probably show up in uh, Peacock as well whenever Hmm. it happens. Uh, Ellen Burstyn, who was in the original film, is actually coming back on this one. Just like Jamie Lee Curtis was in the original Halloween, came back. Interesting. Um, But she'll be joined um, by Leslie Odom Jr., Hmm. Leslie Odom Jr. will be playing the father of a possessed child who tracks down uh, Chris, who is Ellen Burstyn's role to have for her help. Um, hmm. David Gordon Green, we said directing. He's also helping with the, working on the script and working with Scott Teams and Danny McBride and is co-writing the script with Peter Sadler. So kind of interesting that they're doing the same kind of approach there, basically saying, All right, we're going to revisit the original we're going to kind of mentally disregard all the other sequels, Hmm. just make a direct sequel, bring back a cast member from that original cast, do it in real time. So obviously they're much older,
2: you know, all this time has passed. Sure.
1: Um, I just thought that was interesting. I did not know about the, the, the exorcist situation.
2: No, I I did not either. That, that slipped by. I don't, huh. Um, being a fan of some of his other work, um, like you mentioned the non-horror work and things like Joe, and um Prince Avalanche. I really those are two that um I'm a big fan of. So I have to say I'm maybe, you know, I thought Halloween was fun. I'm gonna see, you know, the one that's gonna come out Halloween kills, but I look forward to maybe him returning <laughs> to less blockbuster entertainment. But I understand if that's what he's interested in, cool. Well. Um, but I guess after doing three specifically. I, you know, I, I guess I'm a little let down, but uh, it is interesting that he's doing the exorcist. And like you say, mm. it's the same type thing where there've been films that have kind of reached the end. Cause exorcist, did it have, it was three films maybe.
1: I think there were three, there were three sequels. Okay. I mean, I remember Exorcist 2. I remember seeing Exorcist 3 in the theater. Okay. And I believe there was an Exorcist 4.
2: Wow. Okay. So, yeah, it's interesting that he's being chosen as like the ER tech to come in and revive. <laughs> oh, and, and I forgot and to mention, this
1: is also going to be a trilogy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's going to be a trilogy That's... of Exorcist films. Huh. Based directly off the 1973 original, kind of disregarding all the sequels, hmm. bringing back an original cast member. Yeah, same formula. And they've already slated that the first one of these will come out October 13th, 2023. So we've got Halloween Kills this year from David Gordon Green. we got Halloween Ends next October. Then we'll have the first of these Exorcist movies in 2023, October.
2: Huh. So he's just trying
1: to own October I guess. Halloween revisited films every year.
2: Which, you know, I guess it's like making a Christmas movie. If it does somewhat decent, then every year you're going to get residuals because those will be aired on cable. People will rent them and all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting.
1: Yeah. So I thought that was a very, very interesting story. It came out in July, which I didn't understand like hmm. why we missed that. But, I don't um, either, but I'm glad anyway, you brought it up. I just thought, you know, in the Halloween, Spirit of Halloween uh, side of things. I'm sure we will be watching, like you said, Halloween Kills. I'm kind of curious to see. I agree with you. I thought the first, the first revisited one was fine. I had a decent time with it. I thought it was enjoyable. I mean, as much as you can say a slasher movie is but I don't know what they're going to do with two more, two more sequels. Yeah. That's my big question is like, is it just going to be a rinse and repeat and let's just show him going on another murder spree. And we already know there's a third one. So I can't imagine anything is going to happen dramatically with the Laurie Strode character in the second one. I mean, I don't know. Sure. How do you make a trilogy out of like a slasher movie? I hope there's something interesting. I hope there's something different going on with these next two. I don't don't know. We'll see. We'll talk about it for sure. Okay. That's what we had for movie news today for film festival results. And then all about David Gordon green and his love of classic. Reinvention of classic horror films. So, all right, Chris, let's move on to the last section of our program here where you and I both give a recommendation of a film we think is worth checking out, whether you can find it online, you can uh, streaming, whatever the options may be. We're going to make sure it's available to everybody to see whether it's a new film or something we revisited or something maybe we saw for the first time ourselves. Chris, what have you got to share with us on recommendations this week?
2: So my recommendation is going to be a film that is currently streaming on HBO max. Um, and it's a film by Jane Campion who's going to be coming out with a new film and I think maybe November, I'm not sure exactly, but um, it's called, the film that she'll be coming out with is The Power of the Dog, starring Benedict Cumberbatch. So that's, and it's gotten, it's made some of the festival circuit and people have been talking about it. So people probably recognize her name from the director who did the piano. That's how basically I know her. But I saw this film pop up on HBO Max and it was her first film that came out in 1989. And it's, um, it tells the story of two sisters. One is Kay, and the other one is Sweetie, which is the mm-hmm. title of the film, Sweetie. And um, Kay is kind of, she doesn't really know who she is. She kind of fumbles around between jobs. And um, then her sister kind of barges in and decides to start living with her. And it's just very, very chaotic. Um, and it, mm. kind of exam- it kind of examines a very dysfunctional family. Um, but to me, what was interesting is I did not expect this from Jane Campion because mm-hmm. it didn't it would looked nothing like the piano the tone hmm. was nothing like the piano it was as if it was a family dynamic film exploring a dysfunctional family done by David Lynch and Taika Waititi like oh, wow. that's the kind of cuz like the shots were very quirky the family's quirky which you would imagine from David Lynch but then the humor was very like Taika Waititi, what we do in the shadows. I think it just had some really odd family humor, but it overall it's charming. It does have some darkness. There's some dark, mm-hmm. com- it's sad, but um, it's just really interesting. I'd never heard anything about this film, knew wow. nothing about it. And I'm really glad I checked it out. Um, it's one of those films that like, after you watch, you're like, I can't believe more people don't talk about this film, um, but it and is all is the way back from 1989.
1: Well, because when you mentioned Jane Campion, amid uh, immediately, your, your thoughts start going to films like the piano and just kind of that overall style and looks, you're basically saying it's very different.
2: Oh yes. Yeah. And then granted, you know, since it was her first film, probably a much lower budget and no stars that, you know, recognizable, whereas piano has Holly Hunter and Anna Paquin and mm-hmm. um, Harvey Keitel, you know? So yeah, just completely, <laughs> completely different. But um, they're just, I think about that film, think like little about that film, little scenes from it, like constantly since I've seen it. sweetie, so. Sweetie. Sweetie by Jane
1: Campion. Yes. From 1989. 1989. Available online. Yeah. HBO Max is right. HBO Max. You yeah. saw it. Oh, interesting. That's yeah. good. I have to add that to my list myself. Um, mine, you and I kind of joked about the fact that I'm probably going to be recommending this. And yes, you were right, Chris. I, I did. Okay. So we held a screening last week of ah. a film um, in conjunction with our local symphony. Uh, because they were going to be performing uh, selections from the score of this film at an upcoming concert. So we opted to show the film to our community here, the area. And it was the 1944 film, Double Indemnity. Now, probably people out there who are very familiar with this film, rolling their eyes. Alan, why are you just now recommending this? (laughs) Why is this a recommendation? This is supposed to be for like new things you just caught up with. It's true. I had not seen the film Double Indemnity until I saw it last week. And uh, yes, I'm here to say it's it's good. It's really good. It's uh, I get the acclaim it's earned. It's very similar to me the way I look at Citizen and Kane and go ahead and cue the eye rolls, Chris Fry, <laughs> but. On its surface, if you watch the film, you can look at it and say, oh, it's cliche. Oh, there's this and there's that that's so known and familiar. But remembering when this was made, Mm -hmm. it wasn't cliche. This was what was setting some of those things that we now come to see as cliches decades later. A true film noir about a, you know, this is the story here. We have an insurance rep. Who meets and lets himself be talked into by a seductive housewife into kind of a murder insurance fraud scheme to basically have her husband murdered so that they could both benefit from the insurance claim? She's playing it as a he's a bad husband, treats me bad, and he wants to help, but then they both see money, dollar signs in their eyes. And, you know, yes, it's a, again, the meeting of these two, extremely what we would see nowadays as very, cliche um him the smooth talking insurance salesman kind of hitting on her her being very seductive and very uh, mysterious and uh, then they get into the scheme and things go go wrong and they find themselves in, in a uh, difficult situations from it but at the time, thinking about where this was at the time it was made, yeah, this this was kind of the this is bearing the standard. This is kind of setting the the tone for what film noir was going to look like for decades afterwards as well. Um, Raymond Chandler, novelist, was one of the co-writers of the film along with Billy Wilder, the director of the film. Um, you've got uh, Fred McMurray. Uh, I will not be able to look at him the same way <laughs> watching my three sons reruns anymore. Cause sure. he definitely got to play a much darker character. Barbara Stanwyck, same way Edward G Robinson. I mean, I've always enjoyed his performances in a film, but I really liked his performance in this film. I thought he was just such a interesting character. Yeah. So I really did enjoy the film. I thought it was great. I understand its position as a classic. I see why. And, um, uh, for someone like me, who's always been a big Alfred Hitchcock fan and other things, I can absolutely see how this really set the tone for a lot of the films we started to see later in the '50s and '60s, um, in the same same genre. So, Double Indemnity, uh, you know, you can rent it on Apple i uh, TV, Amazon Prime, any of these places where you can rent the film for sure. It is available, and uh, I do highly recommend if you've never ca- checked it out before, it's definitely one to watch. So. All right. So I think that's it for our show, right? We're all good there? Yeah,
2: we're good. If okay. you want to um, contact us or let us know about what you think about the show, you can send an email to info at footcandle.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at footcandlefilm. Al and I are both on Letterboxd, where sometimes we uh, post short reviews of what we're seeing. You can also um, check us out. Of course, you're listening to this podcast. We hope you do, and follow other shows on TV. You can help us reach a wider audience by giving us a star rating or writing a review on services such as iTunes. We're also available, available excuse me on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast.
1: All right. So thank you all for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it, and we hope to talk to you next time. So thanks again. We'll see you soon.
2: See you in the ticket line.